Creativity Cocktail. I am here today with Linda Sherbert. Linda is, she is someone who's had a powerful impact on me personally. Now, you might hear me say that quite often, but Linda specifically, when I decided to take my life into the path where I was going to become a writer and that was going to be like the rest of my uh, path in life, I decided to go and have some classes. And Linda was so gracious to be my teacher and mentor for about five years. And that led to so many amazing things. And she has such an amazing uh, an amazing journey in regards to the creative space. So Linda, this is an honor. I know we're doing this via remotely, but I am doing like an honor bow to you and all the things you've done for me in my life. So it's, it's great to have you today on the on the podcast. Thank you, Winston. I'm I'm delighted to do this, and I'm super happy that you that maybe I had some influence on your pursuit of your creative journey um i'm so happy that you continue on this path and it just keeps growing and getting more and more exciting um so so let's you know let's let's talk creativity that's awesome so is so linda really i wouldn't say briefly but it's okay if you like really delve into some of your background some of the things that you've done i really want the audience to get in real immersion in regards to Linda and some of the things you've done and how you've had impact and what have you learned over time. So feel free to take a few minutes if you wish to just talk a little bit about yourself and, and your path to uh, Winston, I've been a you know, I've been a writer and active on the Atlanta art scene for decades. Yes. I was a professor professor of dramatic writing on on the faculty at SCAD in Atlanta, the Savannah College of Art and Design here. Um, specifically at the Writing Center at Historic Ivy Hall. And I taught screenwriting also at SCAD's Digital Media Center. Uh, But before that, you know, I taught for years at night at the Alliance Theater in their education department. And I've taught at KSU and Emory, and I've been a magazine editor. I was the features editor of Veranda, a national magazine owned by Hearst in New York. I was a theater critic for the Journal-Constitution in a previous life, and for WABE, the NPR affiliate. But I recently did some theater reviewing for artsatl.com this past fall, and so I may pick that up again if if they're interested. Um, and, and oh, oh, I ran the 14th Street Playhouse years before it became Scad Show. Um, and so I write screenplays. I'm a script doctor, playwright, journalist, stage directed. Um, and soon, supposedly, I will be the co-author of a book for a big publishing house in New York. I was asked to co-write a book on design wow. by somebody in Los Angeles. And now I'm writing a play set in Georgia. And after that, I will return to my three most recent screenplays, which have received some encouragement in Los Angeles. Wow. So, um, yeah. so I've got a lot of stuff to keep me busy during this um, pandemic crisis. I know, you know, a lot of us are struggling with having so much time on our hands, but I'm actually pretty happy <laughs> to have this opportunity to focus more on my own writing because usually I'm focusing on other people's writing and trying to help them. And um, now I have a, a chance to do more of my own work for better or worse. <laughs> wow. So, so you, you said some things there, and I remember once 
in one of your talks with with myself and and some other students where you shared that you were out, I think it was a number of years ago, where you were out in, I think it was L.A., and you were going through a process, like the pitch process and so forth. Like, I always took a lot of notes in all the conversations that we ever had, but I tell you, it has informed my screenwriting so much when you came back from that pitch fest, I guess that's the best term for it, and all the things that you learned from there, and it was such a phenomenal thing. And it's actually helped me guide other people when they send me script you know, screenplays, which is a lot. And and it takes yeah. me, and it takes me to page forty five until I know what's going on, and so it's, yeah, so it's, it's just yeah. just a great thing. So let, let me ask you, how do you um? And this is a question I ask for for all, but when you think about getting in a creative space, and you mentioned the book that you're you're, you're putting together now, how do you get prepared for that? Like, what's your thought process? Do you have to have a certain environment, a certain mindset? You know, they have to have certain music that you have to have, like, what's, what's, what happens when you're ready to buckle down and to be creative? Well, I, I have a lot of thoughts on that subject. I want to go back, though, first and touch base about pitching, because that can actually help a writer pull a story idea together. Yes. If you try to write a log line, which is a pitching tool, or you try to write a premise, which is a, to me, a story writing tool for the writer. The, the log line is more like an elevator pitch where I don't think you should tell the ending. Um, I agree. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I, yeah. But I, yeah, I was going to pitch fest and pitching and oftentimes I didn't really know who I was pitching to. I knew the name of some company, but I didn't know if they were affiliated with a larger company or studio. And one time, I pitched to a small company and it turned out that it was a, a small production company on the lot at Disney. So I was really pitching to Disney. So Ooh. I'm just mentioning this in passing so that people who do pitch in LA or Burbank will understand that they may be pitching to some larger organization, not just the one that they're, they think they're talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, and I taught a pitching workshop out there, which also helped me as a writer. The, the whole process of teaching promotes creativity. I think it can promote creativity for the person doing the instructing. Um, But getting into a creative space. Uh, Okay, so personally, since I've been a writer my whole life, uh, writing for major newspapers like in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., and then switching over to magazines, mostly in New York, um, I don't have any trouble getting into a creative space personally. Uh, my, my, I suffer more from compulsive eating while I'm writing, and I look up and I've just consumed an entire bag of potato chips. <laughs> so, so I try not to buy potato chips. Uh, but anyway, uh, so let's talk. Let's talk about some methodology for getting into. Well, I think the key is like, what kind of potato chips are you consuming? Oh, any kind will do. I'm not picky. You know, just anything that looks like a potato chip, even vaguely, I, I will eat it without thinking about it and peanuts as well but anyway okay so um so i don't have any huge problem getting into um, a mindset where i can write because for many years i had to it was either you know write or don't eat but um these days more often especially now that that we are isolated um sometimes when i'm about to fall asleep or more likely right after i wake up in the morning and i'm still lying in bed and nothing else has distracted me it's quiet i will focus on a specific 
script or a specific element in a script. And I lie there and I try to problem solve or come up with more ideas to add to the mix. It's a very non-judgmental process. There's no censoring. And then when I get like three or four ideas in my head, I leap out of bed and run to my my laptop or run to a piece of paper, maybe I have it on my nightstand, and write down the ideas before I forget them. And then I edit these ideas later. You know, maybe I'll use, you know, one of the ideas, expand on them, eliminate them, whatever makes sense in terms of the story that I am trying to tell. Um, So I, in fact, I did that this morning. And after we chat, Winston, I will be exploring the idea that I thought of at about 8.15. I see. Um, 8.15 a.m. Um, but certainly there are lots of other things that folks can do. Um, obviously, research can be a tremendous stimulant, and I'm not just talking about digging around online. I'm talking about even interviewing people. For example, I was writing a full-length play in Washington, D.C., and it had it, um, two Native American characters in it. So I thought, I, you know, I might have a Cherokee or two in my background, but I certainly cannot speak knowledgeably about about that sort of thing. So I went to a location, um, I, I flew and then drove to a, a remote location, was fortunate enough to be able to interview the chief of a tribe. Wow. In fact, his son was, his son was telling me not to talk to, telling him not to talk to me, but um, luckily the chief did speak with me at length. And then I went to a powwow where I held hands with people in a circle. I was the only non-Native American person there, I think. And it was very moving and very spiritual, and it did inform what I wrote. What an amazing research. That was great. Yeah. yeah. And I was interested in car racing at some point. And on the spur of the moment, I bought a ticket to Talladega. Wow. And I drove over to Alabama and watched 42 laps. That's, that's not far from here. Talladega's not far yeah. from here, yeah. That's right. And and I stayed as long as I could until I couldn't take the noise anymore, and then I drove drove home on the same day. But you know, I think, you know, authenticity, of course, is so important, and you have to interview experts oftentimes. And that is very inspirational, I find. And it also adds to the believability and relevance, maybe the relatability of what of the characters that you are creating. You know what I hear, Linda, uh, that's interesting is that your research and then going to this is like you're really digging into experiences to inform your mm-hmm. research versus just, you know, just only like reading or Internet researching. You're actually getting into these experiences any way you can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's really worthwhile because you pick up on factoids or nuances or emotions in the people you're interviewing that might inform the emotions of the character that you are creating. And that is enormously helpful. Plus, you can get away from stereotypes of that might persist in people's minds or your own mind and really make the character m- much more multidimensional you know, make your whole script more textured and interesting. Yeah, you make so, a, yeah, you make so, a good point. I always have a tough time when I'm listening to a story, or especially if it's a television sh- story and it's about Jamaica, where my family's from. I can pick yeah. up so quickly any bit of inauthentic anything that is in that story. <laughs> like it is just so evident to me, 
And it, you're right that sometimes you really got to dig deep when it comes to some of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and I, and I, I'm recalling now a conversation that I had with the great August Wilson, uh, the yeah. multi Pulitzer prize winning playwright. This was years ago in Connecticut at the Eugene O'Neill theater center where folks who are listening who are writing plays they might be interested in submitting a script to the o'neill theater center uh once you know i don't know that uh, you know i don't know that they're having the um, conference this year but in the past it's been a tremendous launching pad or place to develop work and launching pad for a lot of very successful scripts when i was there in residence with august he was working um he was he was working on a play, Fences, and at that point it was like four and a half hours long, maybe, and he needed he knew he needed to cut it down to a more typical length. And Lloyd Richards, who was then the head of the Yale School of Drama, was there, kind of guiding him and directing. And then later on, of course, Fences ended up on Broadway with James Earl Jones in the lead role, and Lloyd Richards directing that production. But while we were at the O'Neill. There was a, I was there as a, as a theater critic as a, because they also had a critics institute going on simultaneously. Um, but you know, August was able to get do a workshop production at, on an outdoor stage and get feedback from the audience. There was a talk back after a performance. And Lloyd Richards was not there to tell August what to write or what to cut. Instead, he would ask really provocative questions about the script and let August think about the answers to those questions and then respond in terms of shaping and cutting his script. So did it was I hear a, that, a great right? learning. Did I hear that you said mm -hmm. you had a conversation with August Wilson? Do you, was that what you shared? Oh yeah, we were friends. Really? Yeah. We met, we met that summer and we stayed in touch. And then when he came to Atlanta for productions of his plays at the Alliance Theater, we got together again, and he let me do a portrait of him upstairs at the Woodruff Arts Center, and I have that, and I've used that in my I use that in my classes at SCAD, um, and 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 could talk about uh, him um, as someone who who understood the value of work, workshopping scripts to make them better. And he couldn't really fully envision a, a play until he saw it on its feet. And then he just learned so much, as, as we all do, when we see scripts on their feet, script in hand, cold readings. Right. Um, yeah. So, so, Linda, so I did a lot of that. Linda, there's something that you said that I don't want to get past. Like, I've known you probably for a decade now. And you just used the word that you created a portrait of him. I did not know that that was a skill of yours. I don't know. Did you, is that, did you say a portrait? When you meant a portrait, what did you mean by that? I, I, I photographed him. I, I've done photography my whole life. I, wow. I used to process my own black and white film, the film itself, and then print the pictures in dark rooms. And then later on, I got into printing color. But I, I used to show some of my work in galleries, but I didn't, you know, I got away from that because I just didn't have time. But that was a lot of fun. Um, right, the farthest away that I showed my work was Buenos Aires. I had, I had, uh, had pictures from um, the 1988 Democratic National Convention in Atlanta. I got down on the convention floor 
and shot pictures. And I shot a picture out in the street outside the convention center in Atlanta. And that there was a picture of a of, of a demonstration in the street that I shot that that got some attention um, internationally. So that's yeah, what I know, that was. I know I deviated on that, but I just had to. I was just like I've known you for so long, and I've never heard you utter the, uh, anything about your photography, at least that I can recall. And that then is so awesome. Oh well, thanks. But um, um, what was the other thing? Oh, August Wilson. So we talked about, for example, um, whether <laughs> whether white people could write uh, good black characters, that sort of thing. And he said he didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and so we we went back and forth on that, and um, it was it was very interesting to hear his point of view. Yeah, uh, that's the I'm same a, thing like my theory uh, about Jamaican people writing about people from Jamaica. If they're not from Jamaica, it's going to be difficult. <laughs> Yeah, so this is why if you want to write about something that you don't have first-hand experience for, you really have to interview other people and find out what they think yeah. because that's going to, to enhance you know, the authenticity of what you're doing because I'm not just going to write about white women my age. You know, Forget it. I mean, I would be completely bored. <laughs> so, uh, so, so that was, you know, it was interesting to, um, to bat ideas back and forth. And that leads me to another another uh, bullet point here and that is you know have readings at home or have readings in the theater have workshop productions and i know that you did that very thing successfully um in marietta at the theater there on the square yeah i did it a um, couple times the, oh, yeah it was great yeah 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 and and there is working title playwrights group in atlanta and i know that you're fully um you've been active with them yeah. and, and uh, the I, i've been a member yeah, i'm one too. of the oldest members but I haven't been going um, for a while because I've been so tied up teaching. Yeah. But um, the dramatist skill, but, but, yeah, as well. Yeah. And the dramatist skill, exactly yeah. right. And then there's another organization here. If you're into writing screenplays, Georgia Production Partnership, and that organization attracts people from many industries related to film. And I I went to a dinner down at Pinewood Studios with that organization down south of Atlanta, and. I was sitting across from massage therapists who would, were involved with the film industry because they would massage, you know, the actors, but specifically the stunt um, stunt workers, you know, doing yeah. crazy things because they would strain their muscles. And so, I mean, it was so. That's a very interesting organization. It's very communicative, and I'm not a member at the moment, but I probably will renew my membership in that. And you know, you can make so many great contacts and create relationships because, of course, so much of this is based on who you know. Yeah. I also wanted to um, mention a bullet point about using music. You, you, you mentioned it also. Uh, I wrote a play a long time ago in which there were a couple of, of black characters, and I remember to get into the world of that play, the main character was a white woman, but to get into the world of that play, I would listen to Louis Armstrong uh, for the male character and Ella Fitzgerald for the female character. Yeah. And, and and that was just a quick way to get my head from, you know, shopping at Kroger into the world of that I was trying to create. And, um, and so I did a lot of research on that too, um, a tremendous amount of research for that script. I recall. Um, and it's a script that I... Go ahead. What's that? No, go ahead, please. Well, <laughs> 
Oh, well, that, all I was going to say is that's a script that, that got some encouraging feedback here in Atlanta at a theater, and it's one that I want to circle back around to. And, you know, because I that happens to be a place set in Atlanta. The one I'm writing now is set in North Georgia. I just want to encourage listeners to consider their own locations for their scripts, whether they're for the stage or the screen or whatever. Yeah. And you know, take advantage of what is right here around you um, because there's so much richness, richness in that and we don't have to just wait for, you know, we don't have to set everything in New York or L.A. or whatever. You know, what about your town, your city, your neighborhood? And just, you know, but give yourself permission to fictionalize as you need to, you know, as your story requires. Yeah, I, I, my novel that I've been writing for probably about close to a decade now when I first started writing, and you know you have to write a lot in order to really get a good sense of it, it's a science fiction mm -hmm. fantasy story, and it you know it's kind of an off world where you have to do a lot of world building. But I decided mm -hmm. to start the story, the actual novel part of it, here mm -hmm. in Atlanta, <laughs> and you know, and, and, yeah. and that's a, it was a great way for me to bridge the worlds in a way where I'm relating to it differently. And I'm sure that others, mm -hmm. when it gets out there, will re relate to it differently as well. You know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Yeah, that offers your yeah. reader or viewer an access point. Yeah. They can relate to that, and then you can lead them by the hand into the sci-fi sci world that you're, you know, that where you want to take them on a journey. Um, so that sounds fantastic. And sometimes you want to create a circular structure or use that same... Um, location at the end, yeah. for example, as was done in The Wizard of Oz, you know, Dorothy starts in Kansas and ends in Kansas. So, you know, it's a framing device. Yeah, I don't want to give too much um, away of the story, but it all ends in a big, no. in a big conflict on Stone Mountain. <laughs> That's the only thing I'll tell oh, you. Oh, fun. <laughs> so that'll be... What a fun so location. That, 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 that sounds interesting. That, that, Yay. That, that, Keep that, going. That, Keep that, going. That, Keep that momentum. You know, I do recall, and this, this is probably just part of me remember, I remember you dabbling on some level into comedy at some point. Um, <laughs> and, and the, you know, you were making me laugh and that made me think about it. And so I was like, well, can you share anything about comedy and you know, writing for comedy and that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, you were, I believe, in the stand-up comedy class that I taught at the Alliance Theater, weren't you? I, I think so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know you were. Um, yeah, so we turned a, a, a theater space, a black box space upstairs into our comedy club for the class, and that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, uh, uh, there's a website called ComedyWire.com that anybody can join, and they send you, they send out topical a one topical sentence, something that's going on in the world. It could be in politics. It could be in the entertainment business. It could be anything. And then you write a one-line punchline. And I've written thousands of those on ComedyWire.com. Not lately, but, but a few years ago I wrote, I think, over 3,500 of those. And those are really great for strengthening your comedy writing muscles because you have to be quick. You have to be succinct too many words and the line is not funny at all um and so you know one way one place to start with writing comedy if you don't have a particular script in mind is to just write down a bunch of things that make you angry 
Yeah. You know, what what do you get mad about? And then you can sometimes write comedy from there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, comedy so often involves exaggeration, um, sometimes linking two things that don't seem to have any connection. Um, I think I gave in class an example of a line that I wrote for Comedy Wire. It was They had sent out a sentence about the Rolling Stones being the ages that they are, still touring. And so I'm showing my age here. This is a dated um, punchline. But I wrote, um, wild, wild horses couldn't drag them away. And <laughs> I know what that means. So, so that, that's my age there, too. I, I, I got it. I know what you mean. Yeah, you, you have to know that the Rolling Stones had a song called Wild Horses Couldn't Drag Them, you know, that they had those lyrics. Um, and they were famous at some point. But um, so what you're doing there is you're, you're, it's like two columns. One column would be a list of things that you associate with the Rolling Stones. And the second column would be a list of things that you associate with aging. You know, so maybe walkers, um, AARP, Geritol, you know, death, funeral homes, hearses, and so on. So you, you know, and then things that you associate with the band, their songs, and you could list some of those, and then you put the two things together. That's very a very simple way of writing a punchline. That's great. But writing comedy is, you know, is a, is a tricky thing, and in many ways I think it's harder than writing drama, per se, because it's, you know, it's, it's got to be, it's so almost fragile in its specificity. Yeah, I, and I, so it take, yeah. I would say that I've written, there's comedy in everything I've ever written, but me writing mm-hmm. intentionally for a comedic purpose has been difficult, like you say. And the, even the more difficult one of all genres, and everyone should flex their muscles somewhere around this, has been horror. I, you know, I was part uh-huh. of a, a film group where we were writing an anthology no one wanted to write the horror story in this anthology. And who did they ask to do it? Myself. And so I was... <laughs> and horror is unbelievably challenging because, you know, you can really mess up horror quickly if you don't really think about what it's supposed to be or what you're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, it forces you to think about the conventions of horror writing. Different kinds of writing have different conventions, which which means that audiences have certain expectations about what the genre is. So you have to know what their expectations are, and then if you can fulfill them or not fulfill them, you can turn their expectations on, you know, upside down. Um, So you need to be aware of those and then, you know, go from there in terms of making something uniquely your own. And then your own expectation Um, too, right? Because I have high expectations for horror because it's my least favorite genre of anything to watch or to do and so yeah so if it's going to be good and i'm going to consider it good i've got this different expectations myself that i've got to incorporate into what the audience might like you know i've been around people where they sit there and they laugh at everything that's happening in a horror movie or they get frightened and i just sit there like a log (laughs) so yeah it's it's a different thing yeah Um, i'm kind of the same way winston you're making me think of the movie get out which i thought was brilliant and so the combination there of horror and social commentary was so fresh and so wonderful and so powerful. Um, so that was that was interesting from what made from that, the, yeah, what made that work was that it was smart, right? It was like it was like you're looking mm-hmm. at something that was really thought provoking and it was smart more than it was just mm-hmm. about jump scares and, and, and scaring mm-hmm. people that was out there. 
<laughs> so, so Linda, mm -hmm. let me ask you, this is like a really hard question for you. Okay. Um, and so there's been lots of people that's had an impact and an influence in your career. Like this, look at the audiences out there. We've got people listening from all over the world, Brazil, Australia, all of these things. And you mentioned August mm -hmm. Wilson earlier. Um, who were one or two people that have had a profound effect on you? Okay. Well, certainly August. Also, Marcia Norman, the playwright. I interviewed her a long time ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. She went to Agnes Scott College for a while. And so I, she came back for a visit. So I drove over there and I interviewed her for a story that I was writing for the Journal Constitution. And I thought she was very inspirational in terms of talking about structure. She, we, um, she talked about her play Night Mother, which won a Pulitzer Prize, and how she figured out how to write that. And she, as, as I recall, I hope I'm remembering this correctly because it was so long ago, but she used symphonic structure to oh. figure out the pacing of that play. So, you know, and then, you know, won a Pulitzer Prize. I saw Kathy Bates do it in New York. I was blown away. I've also, I also have to count some, a couple of people that I know in Los Angeles. One of them has been a lecturer at UCLA. The other one has been a writer for animation for kids. And I have known them for several years and they've given me feedback on my work. And it's been very useful and very um, eye-opening. And so I, what I try to do is take everything that I learn from everybody and use it to, you know, inform my work. And I just feel so fortunate that I've known so many interesting, not only people who are experts on writing, but my students at the Alliance Theater, at SCAD, at, you know, yeah. Emory, everywhere, who have taught me. I just feel very indebted to them for opening my mind up to their creativity um, we're, we're all inspiring each other, I hope. Yeah, that, so. that, is, that, is, that is awesome. And usually in the conversation, you know, when we talk to people on the podcast, we're always asking them about the environment and how the environment, you know, what's their opinion about the environment. It's a little bit different because as we talk, we're in the midst of uh, the pandemic. And hopefully by the time this gets out, there'll be some relief of some level associated with that. And so that, mm -hmm. the question that I typically ask kind of has to shift a little bit. So like, what do you think mm -hmm. about how do we as creatives, and you mentioned it earlier about how you're digging into writing based on the pandemic, but like, what are some things that we should think about how to combat the environment that we're in right now? Well, I think one thing that's good that's happening, the sil a silver lining is that I think Maybe people who don't normally communicate with each other are communicating. I just reconnected with uh, an old friend up north, and we talked on the phone for an hour and a half. I think it's make you know it, it can make us more conscious of our humanity and our vulnerabilities, and who we are and who we want to be and who do we want to be to each other or for each other. I can't see my mother right now, which is killing me because. Um, she is in um, a retirement place, and they're not letting anybody in, which is probably good. Um, so we just we talk more on the phone. I think just just that awareness of our humanity. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. No, Am I answering your question? You are indeed. <laughs> you are indeed. You know, I've had an experience where I called one of my aunts who knows the most about our family history 
recently because I just mm-hmm. wanted to check on her. And she's in Florida. And I said, you know, we've been trying to coordinate a family reunion for like a, you know, over a decade. I said, why don't we just mm-hmm. get everyone together from Canada and Jamaica and England and all of these places and just do a conference. Mm-hmm. And you know what she told me? Mm-hmm. She found mm-hmm. out that she, that I have a great grandmother that lives in Jamaica that's 105 years old. Wow. And we're trying to figure out a Which way you? to get her on you? the call. <laughs> Absolutely. Or just talk to her yourself. Yeah. I would sure, I would just, if I were you, I would love to hear what she has to say about the world. Oh because she watched most of the 20th century happen there and a big chunk of this century. And she would be totally fascinating. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh that, my that's gosh. a tremendous opportunity for you. You could even do, I mean, that could be a one-person show. It could be a whole play or movie. I mean, one, one it's amazing. Of, one, of the, one of the plays that I, that I, I mean, plays a screenplay that I had out there that I've been working on for some time is about a person like myself who was born in Jamaica but went to, grew up in the United States and how that's informed my life. And I am sure she has got information about the world, multiple worlds, mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. and how that's helped her to grow and survive and to have this whole lineage of family members that have come past her. And to you, to what we're to what we're talking about, this would have never happened probably if the world was the same way as it was back in December. <laughs> but now, right. now it's you know I'm so conscious about family members, especially those that are getting to a certain point in life, of calling them and say, hey, how are you? What's up with you? What are you doing? And right. so that is yeah. definitely a, a, a great boon. You know, the challenge is that at the same time, there's lots of other things happening around us. Linda, yeah. as yeah. always, you are so amazing to talk to. You and I sometimes talk outside of a podcast for an hour easily about what's going on. And so you have been so influential in my life. I got one kind of last question for you. Uh, Okay. We created this organization to help people who are going through emotional, challenging times in their lives. And that they may have been creative at some point or they want to turbocharge their creativity. And we created this organization just to do that. And my view is that here we are in a pandemic and we are all traumatized on some levels, depending on what that level is. And so you're having a conversation with someone right now and they're saying to themselves, Linda, I was creative, or I want to be more creative, but I don't know where to start. What's what, mm-hmm. what's your guidance to that person? Hmm. You're going to have to cut my silence out of this, uh, <laughs> no. this conversation, because no. I'm thinking, How, where should they start? I think they should start with themselves, yeah. because that's who they know the best, and and just write about some of their feelings without censorship, you know, just write how they're feeling about all this and just keep going and maybe write some every day and put all these little pieces in one folder on their desktop or maybe they're writing on paper, just put them all together. And maybe over time, something will emerge that they find interesting enough to sustain a story. And they need to give themselves permission to, to leave the facts and go off into fantasy, you know, fiction, if, 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 you know, or maybe they want to write a true story. But um, 
oftentimes you need to fictionalize to make the story better and go ahead and do that if that's what the story wants for itself. Wow. Um, thank you so much for that. Um, I am going to ask you if you would be okay that at some point for you to join us again on the Creativity Cocktail. would love for you to be part of that. Well, I would love to come and do this again. That would be fantastic, Winston. I would be honored, and I'm so thrilled for you with this exploration of creativity that you are sharing with your listeners. And, you know, I've thought many times about writing a book, a dramatic writing book, um, trying to pull together a lot of different things that I've been fortunate enough to learn or be told. And so maybe at some point I'll actually do that. <laughs> but, yes, I would love to chat again. That, that is fantastic. So everyone that's out there, the Creativity Cocktail is part of the Rising Tides charity. There are so many ways for you to contact us via the website. We're on all the social media platforms. This podcast itself is everywhere you can get podcasts. So we hope that you are um, you listen to some of the things that Linda has shared with us today. And that we hope that you can be part of our movement going forward. Again, I want to thank Linda my unbelievable mentor for a, a real um, part of the season of my life so I thank you again and I'll, you'll probably hear that every time I talk to you for the rest of my life Linda so uh, thank you again. <laughs> <laughs> thank you better. thank you so much be safe be safe be strong and, and keep writing thank you so much take care okay you too thanks bye bye